Hey guys, it's Kurt. Uh, we're going to continue our conversation uh, today on Thursday with uh, Brian Habig. If you listened on Tuesday to our first episode, we're revisiting bad language as well as taking the Lord's name in vain. Uh, on Tuesday, we kind of talked about uh, the, the latter, taking the Lord's name in vain. But uh, in this episode, we're going to get into uh, what are the words that are forbidden in our culture and how do we leverage that uh, to talk about uh, what we consider to be sacred words. Uh, how do we speak to our culture about speaking the truth in love? So let's just get to it. Here's John, Brian, and I talking about bad language. Hey guys, welcome back uh, to Parenting Today. Uh, again, we have a guest this week. John and I are joined by the Reverend Brian Habig from Downtown Presbyterian Church in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, hey, John, how are you? I'm doing well, Kurt. Looking forward hey, to continuing this conversation. Okay, well, I was trying to cut John off there, but whatever. Way to make it awkward. <laughs> that hurts. Brian, are you there? Can you hear us? I am. Hey, guys. Right. Excellent. That's awesome. All right, well, we've been talking about... Uh, We've been talking about bad language, revisiting bad language, and we spent a good deal of Tuesday talking about the Lord's name, particularly about the third commandment, not taking the Lord's name in vain and what that means, not saying it flippantly and our motivation for that, not being just that it's a rule, but that we esteem the Lord. Um, it comes from our love for Christ that we would not just casually toss his name about. But now we're going to move a little bit into uh, where people kind of, instinctively go whenever we talk about uh, taking the Lord's name in vain. We're talking about cursing, I guess, and swearing, and not just that, but just words that are, that have a special meaning. Um, and last, uh, on Tuesday, Brian, you were talking about um, the, the podcast that you listened to uh, with Dak Shepard and Brene Brown and how there's kind of a motivation for us. Sometimes we can feel the need to, uh, to use coarse words or taboo words or to say things that are um, a little bit off color in order to build a rapport or a trust uh, um, and how well, to demonstrate that, that I'm not an uptight person or I'm yeah. not a legal person. Yeah. But let's talk a little bit about the fact that there are words um, that even in the secular world, there are words that we simply do not use. Uh, you know, there are words I'm thinking mainly about like racial terms um, that are, I mean, we, you barely have to scroll the news to find someone who's used some racial um, I don't know how to say epithet. I don't know how to say that word. So I just realized I walked myself into there where I can't, use, where I have to use it and, and reveal the fact that I don't know how to use that. <laughs> Way to own it though. Way to own it. Good Thank, job. You. Thank you, John. I learned from you. I learned from the best. So, uh, yeah, but you know, you don't have to go very far for someone <laughs> to use that term. Um, so anyway, I just want us to talk a little bit about, I'd love to get you guys thoughts on what, um, how, how do we leverage, that truth or that idea that some words are special, how do we leverage that into talking about what we know that the gospel says, which is that we, that all of our speech should be used for edification um, and building each other up um, and not for coarse joking or, you know, and then how do we handle things like also, I realize now I'm asking a question and not giving y'all room to talk, but like, how do we also handle something like the way that Paul uses the word? Um, well, the word Scuvalo um, is, uh, is yeah, scu yeah. However, it, uh, you know, how does and how Paul uses that word? Um, how do we rationalize that as well? So anyway, I just want to get y'all's thoughts on that to start out. 
Well, I'll go first. Uh, you know, I, I want to respond to the first one because I like, I like the angle of that about how do we leverage our cultural moment to help people understand how we're using language as Christians or the biblical ethic about language. And again, I mean, like we're all having to admit there's a lot we don't know. And there have been times where someone used a word and it was, it was just seemed inappropriate and gratuitous or it rubbed us the wrong way. And then maybe in another context, that same word kind of connected us to that person and we felt that they were letting us in, you know, so like, okay, it's hard to define it. But I think, you know, when you think about words where we just say, okay, look, in our cultural moment, we do not use those words. It's usually tied into trauma. I mean, uh, a racial, I'm going to try here, Kurt, epithet. Uh, you, you know, when, when you look at the racial history of the United States, especially for African-Americans, you understand, yeah, there's just, at least for whites, there's just not going to be a right context for using that word. We're just kind of saying it is off limits going forward. Uh, I mean, I just, I'm from Jackson, Mississippi. I just toured the new Civil Rights Museum a few weeks ago in Jackson. It's my first time to go to it. And uh, boy, uh, I mean, that'll drive that point home, walking through there. Because it's tied into the trauma of a whole experience. Of a, of a whole demographic. I mean, and our brothers and sisters and our neighbors. Uh, there's certain things that we would not joke about or use funny terms about related to sexual assault uh, or things related to the Me Too movement because it's tied into trauma. Someone who had been sexually assaulted, you would not joke about it and you would be really careful with your vocabulary if you got even close to broaching the subject. I think that's an, I'm not saying. I mean, you, know, you have to know your crowd, you have to know who you're talking to, but I think in teaching and preaching, that's an opportunity to say, what is the ultimate trauma that anyone ever went through? What, 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 is, what is trauma at the cosmic level? And I think it's an opportunity, number one, to talk about uh, the cosmic level of sin, the cosmic level of what the fall did to everything and everybody, and then to talk about what it took to redeem us and uh, to redeem the world. And, you know, the experience of Jesus Christ is traumatic. I think that's an opportunity to say, hey, that's one reason. It's not the only reason. The main reason is because he's God. But that's one of the reasons why we're not going to use Jesus Christ as our own little emoji. Um. Can I ask a follow-up, which is... Yeah. Did that make sense, though, the way I'm framing that? Absolutely, it does. I was, I was just wondering, other than, like, racial, racial terms, epithets, mm -hmm. epithets. I'll just epithets. say it a couple of times. Um, and All then, of us should have rehearsed that before Tuesdays. Yeah, sorry. Um, but other than that, and then sexual assault, I was just wondering, would you guys include, like, national tragedies is also something that, you know, is just not to be discussed flippantly. I'm thinking, like the World Trade Center, yeah. um, Sandy Hook, uh, the Boston Marathon. Um, and I guess a follow-up question to that is, that seems to be the place, um, because so many times uh, these, um, these forbidden terms are the places, those edges are where um, people who, um, who deal in humor, that's the very first place that they go. Maybe that's low-hanging fruit, or maybe it's not you know, maybe that's their job to push the boundaries. So many times that those are the exact places that they go. It's almost like they're testing the limits. But 
I'm just thinking about like the term like too soon, like it's too soon to talk about, or it's too soon to make that joke. Um, would you include those two? I think so. Uh, yeah. I mean, but, but it, it's hard to say when too soon is no longer too soon. Uh, mm. One time I ever got to visit the Alamo, they make you take your hat off. I mean, an official, you know, a, a, it's kind of like a park ranger. I don't know what it's called in that setting, but he will walk over to you and ask you to remove your hat because, you know, it's a big deal. And going forward, they still think it's a big deal. So, yeah, I, but, but again, I, it's tied into trauma. It's tied into violence and tragedy. I think that's an opportunity to say, look, Jesus is... Uh, crucifixion wasn't it wasn't a flannel board crucifixion it was a brutal Roman crucifixion and that's just the part you can see you can't see a man falling under the wrath of God and experiencing justice and wrath and condemnation for us but believe me whether or not we can see it that was trauma for him and he did that because he loves us so yeah we don't want to use Jesus as a way to just punctuate my <laughs> punctuate my point or my joke. Yeah, that's yeah, very good, very helpful. I mean, if we <clears throat> I mean going back to the the first discussion that we had on this, I mean the word complexity was repeated just continuously because we realized as we started to unpack this idea of bad language and bad words, there there is so much to consider. And I mean this conversation right here is is illustrating that. I mean just Brian, your point about trauma and, and Kurt, you saying just joking about something too soon. It seems like I remember maybe at the Oscars, somebody mocked the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. And then he even followed up with a joke of like, come on, it's been decades, you know, and it was just kind of like the joke didn't land. I mean, they're, you know, rules of humor, like you said, some of them are, you're going to try to push the envelope as far as you can and that you can get a laugh. But then there are just some things where we need to, just say, no, you, you do not mock this. You do not make fun of this. This is not a, a punchline for sure. And so as Christians, we need to to draw that that distinction. And maybe I, I can't tell if, Brian, if you're wanting to say something, maybe adding a layer to this discussion um, of ranking words, you know, as we think of, okay, words do have power. We kind of established that on the first that, you know, a theological understanding of words, they, they have power because because of God. Should we have somewhat of a ranking system? And of course, maybe the top one is is trauma being associated with that. But maybe Brian, say what you were wanting to say, and then y'all can respond to that thought. Uh, no, um, sorry, fire truck going by. A little urban noise here, uh, downtown press. Uh, You're so I, I, I was just still thinking about, you know, it, things are so hypersensitive right now. Everything is very polarized, and you know, there's there are comedians like I mean, Jerry Seinfeld has said he doesn't like playing on campuses anymore hmm. because if you shuffle your foot the wrong way, all these people are offended, you know, if you, and, and, uh, and that humor used to be, I've heard Jamie Foxx talk about this, that humor, the bold comedians would just go for it. Like they would joke about anything. And that's how you knew that they were sort of, uh, I mean, you know, whether you like that or don't like that, or you're indifferent, they were the guys that were like blazing a trail. They were pioneer comedians and that boy, that will just tank you now. 
Um, I think, again, I think it's an, there's an opportunity to connect the dots with our own culture and say, look, guys, I'm not going to give you a list of, you may say these words, you may not say these words, but can you even see in our cultural moment, whether it's you or your professor or your, or your friend, that there are things that are just too weighty to make light of uh, or, or, or to speak flippantly about. I mean, again, I think it's an opportunity to, to minister to people and say, we're not saying do this thing that you don't do with any other words in the world. You're already doing this with other, wor- with other words. You're putting up boundaries around at least concepts that we may not speak about that lightly. That's all I got out there. But, you know, the most vulgar word I've ever heard was, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so when you were saying, um, John, about like ranking word, do you mean ranking? What, what do you mean by ranking? Yeah, the, the, ex, the example I think I gave on the first one was, you know, the movie A Christmas Story. And uh, he says, fudge. And he said, I said, <laughs> the, the mother of all words. Something along those lines of just as just, you know, you can say these words, but if you go here. And so kind of, and let's just say, I mean, a PG rated movie cannot have, I don't think, an F word in it. It's like, boom, that's another category you've just entered in. PG-13, you can get one or two. But, yeah. you know, if you do too much, then you're going to R. So ranking words, I think, in kind of that understanding. Kurt, it looks like you want to respond. I was going to say just just how much the that um, that movie is dated is that if you were to ask me now what are the worst words that someone could say, I think if you were to poll my students and say that might be close to the top, but I don't think it would be at the top. Um, I yeah, yeah. I don't. Think, mm-hmm. I don't think it would be. And that's you know that's the other thing about. Um, about language is that there are a bunch of languages spoken and a bunch of, you know, you think about um, how this is an interesting conversation, like how sensitive are we to the culture in which we're in? How do we exegete the culture um, and apply the scriptures to it? Because, you know, I'm even thinking right now about like some people when they say hello, and this is going to fail on a podcast because we don't have video, but they hold up two fingers back, backhand forward. They, they hold up two fingers like this, not a peace sign. That would be with the palm forward, but like this. Well, that's like a really rude gesture in Great Britain, like a super rude gesture. It's almost like holding up the middle finger. Um, and, you know, I have friends who um, have gone to be um, missionaries uh, or to work in orphanages in Africa, Uganda, Malawi, and uh, some of the stories about how those people talk and the words that they use are really kind of humorous, uh, the way in which they speak. Um, They use some words um, that we would never, ever use, um, and they use them in a completely different context, you know, and they're totally totally fine with it. And um, I guess, to me, the interesting conversation is, like, how do I teach my, how do I teach my child, how do I teach my youth um, to to speak the truth in love um, and also to not be um, uh, beaten down by the world, not to be so afraid to offend someone that they would not even share the gospel with someone that they, for the risk of offending them. And I think that's very, uh, I don't know how to do that. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a very, um, that's a conundrum that I think a lot of people have because Jesus was not afraid to offend people. No, um, but, but you just put your finger on something it is if things are driven by love, one very practical application of how to do love is that love is not rude Mm. and rudeness has different um, boundaries in different cultural contexts. I mean, you just alluded to the, the, you know, palm forward 
two finger, whatever. What'd you call it? Wait, palm forward is peace. What'd you say, palm? I believe the technical term is throwing up the deuces. But, um, you know, I'll have to check later on. I think 2011 called and they want their phrase back. But, <laughs> but, but yeah, that, that, uh, I mean, that's interesting too, because we think about the biblical ethic. We tend to think of like set in stone, unchanging through time. And some things are unchanging through time. But by the same token, the way that we show love is going to have some differences in different cultural contexts because what's rude over here may not be rude over here. Um, I don't know this. I, I, my hunch is that like in some parts of let's say Ireland, the F word is not, uh, it doesn't have as much sting as it does here. And I'm not arguing for or against that. I'm just, my sense is that it just, it just doesn't, it's not as taboo. It might be a little taboo. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of this discussion could be under the umbrella instead of teaching children, this is good and this is bad because man, children are automatically going to ask, well, why is that word bad? And who said that it's bad? I think to frame things in terms of, uh, we, we don't want to be rude to the people that we love or the people that we're talking about. Um, I'm going to give one other thought because then I'm going to have to jump. I think as far as the ranking, John, the difficulty is not what's on top. It's in the gray zone in the middle. And I'll give you one example of where I, I feel like I dropped the ball in a sermon uh, with, one, with something somewhere in that zone. I was, I was talking about John chapter four, where Jesus is interacting with the woman at the well. She's been married five times. The man that she's living with is not her husband. Jesus draws that out of her. And so I was kind of paraphrasing some of the things that Jesus is saying to her when he's offering her living water. And I really, I wasn't trying to be provocative, but, but what came out was, okay, you've been married to five men. None of that stuck. You're living with a guy that won't marry you. And, and I had Jesus saying essentially to her, you're being a slut. And the second that word came out of my mouth from the pulpit, I knew too much. Too, it was just, it was too jarring. Uh, it was just too jarring. It was too much. I could have used a better term. Uh, I I'll give you one other example that, and I may be the the lone voice in the wilderness, and you, you feel free to push back on this. But you know the origins of saying that somebody or someone sucks or sexual, and you just about can say that one from the pulpit. It's so hmm. commonplace. Hmm. But I, I had a great contrast one time. I was sitting um, at my in-law's house and we we're watching TV and just like horrible local car dealership commercials were on where they're just, just like blaring at you and screaming and bad synthesizer music and, you know, 3,000 off and that kind of thing. <laughs> so it's just, it was that time of day where they're showing a ton of them. And, it, and for some reason, he, um, my uh, father-in-law wasn't muting it. But the next car commercial came on and he, and he said, these car dealership commercials, and I was waiting for him to say suck. And he said, are punitive. And I thought that was like the most surgically placed term I've heard in a long time. Like these commercials are so bad. They're actively punishing us, but it it was, it was so much more mature and descriptive and uh, I don't know, almost ennobling rather than, and it wasn't lazy. He thought about what he said. So I think some of figuring out what the cutoff point is, I'm not comfortable with rankings, but some, I think something that sheds light on the gray zone is 
is it rude? Um, is it lazy? Is there a better word for it? Am I just reaching for this because it's just, it's easy and I can get away with it? Uh, yeah, I think that's very well said. Um, I mean, right. yeah. Before, 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 yes, before Brian has to go, I know we're, we're up against it, but I, I think just he already say, needs to go, Kurt. You're being rude. I'm sorry. Anyway, not rude. Kurt, um, been over that. I, I just, I just want to ask one question about that particular, about what he just said in particular, which is this, um, how careful do we have to be about, talk to me about using the word whore in, in a sermon because it's a word that is used in scripture. Whereas the word, I could see what you were saying about the, and I probably made that mistake too, Tony, but talk to me about, walk me through, are we editing scripture? Okay. That that's a beautiful point because something I've, I've said a lot from up front is that I don't, I don't want to just, you know, in the name of being provocative, I don't want to be necessarily more earthy than scripture. I don't want to be less earthy than scripture. Mm. I once had a church member take me to task because I was really unpacking like the relationship, <clears throat> excuse me, between Christ and the church. And when you talk about that love being consummated in the new heavens and the new earth, yeah, I mean, it has connotations of honeymoon and mm-hmm. intimacy and all that. So he was very uncomfortable with it. His and his daughter was with him, and he was very uncomfortable that she heard that. And I made the same point to him that, look, I don't want to unnecessarily be provocative, and I'm not trying to be edgy. But I made him read out loud to me this incredibly graphic passage in Ezekiel 6, I think it's 16 or 23. And I said, okay, you understand that I could say that from the pulpit as a scripture reading? And it was a tough pill for him to swallow because he had to concede the Bible will be at points more earthy than I would be comfortable with. Then, then, I, then I'm okay with it. We'll put it that way. So I think where you find things like the language of whoredom or whoring, especially about God's people and idolatry, I, I wouldn't want to be reckless with it, but I would let it be what it is. Cause it's almost like the Holy spirit is giving us a gift in our context that, wow, that did not sound like the Sunday school lesson. I thought it was going to sound like it, it held my attention. So let it be what it is. Let God's word be God's word. All right. that, that's really helpful. And, and Brian, we know you need to go. It's already past time. Look, thank you so much for, for coming on this podcast. Uh, we really appreciate thanks for letting it. Me. This is my first time to be on a podcast. I hope it wasn't a dud. But thanks for, thanks for letting me be on it. I hope I wasn't a dud. You weren't a dud. No, not at all. Well, we'll, we'll try to have you back on one of these days. Yeah. I think we I should. I think we should have him on from from time to time. Just get his thoughts on things. That'd be fun. Yeah, when y'all get to the male modeling episode, please contact. <laughs> me. A lot of background with that. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Brian. Have a good day. All right. Thanks, guys. Um, we've said this before, and I think we said it in the movie podcast when we talked about movies. Is that um, sometimes uh, our culture, uh, whether it's been influenced by Victorian era thought or whatever, our culture. Um, we, we try, we project our own culture back onto the Bible. Um, and oftentimes we, we ignore passages of the Bible as in Brian's words that are earthier, uh, than, than we're comfortable with. And I mean, I mean, how many sermon series have you ever heard on the song of songs or song of Solomon? Um, probably not many. Right. And, uh, is that any less scripture than Psalms or, 
the gospel of John or, you know, that's a serious question that we have to ask ourselves, which is, are we, uh, in, are we afraid of scripture? Now we don't, like he said, we don't want to be shocking just to be shocking. And I definitely feel that temptation um, mm-hmm. to say things. I, you know, my students, we were just going through in Luke seven, where um, Jesus calls the Gentile woman, a dog, uh, man, my students like stood up and paid attention to that. I was like, I was talking to them and uh, they, they were saying things like, wait, Jesus called her a dog. And I was like, yeah, Jesus called her a dog. And they, it just drew their attention. And there's, there's definitely a temptation that we're going to feel when we're talking to students or talking to our children uh, to really kind of like revel in that kind of like shock value. And we have to be careful not to go further than the scripture does because Jesus goes on to say, the, that woman has great faith, something that he never says about any of the disciples. So, um, you know, that, that, that context is important, but, uh, but certainly I think that there is, uh, especially in our context, there is a temptation that we, uh, that we feel to edit the scriptures or to, or to soften the language of the scriptures. And I think we lose something when we do that. Um, I think it's an important point to make. Don't be shocking for, you know, just for shock's sake, but also at the same time, don't edit the scriptures or make them be something, sanitize them in a way that they're not sanitized. I, I, I thought Brian made an excellent point. So. Yeah, very, very good point. And just as we're kind of wrapping this up, because, um, you know, yeah, Brian made a lot of good points, but just kind of trying to, to draw some uh, concluding thoughts about some of what he said. And I mean, Kurt, to your point, I can remember um, my pastor, uh, Carl Calvercamp, when they were preaching through Genesis, uh, we came along Genesis 34 and the defiling of Dinah. And I think he began with, you know, some commentators would say, you're insane if you preach this chapter, something along those lines. But but like we, we said, I mean, we, we do, do not need to, to censor scripture and that God has the stories in there for a reason. And, and some of them should make us uncomfortable and should um, shake us out of our, our our cultural context of what our culture is defining as appropriate or inappropriate. And, and again, wrestle with those for a reason. I think something I wanted to say as we, we close this out, but when Brian gave the example about his father-in-law saying the word punitive um, and, and him just kind of rattling off, we've got to be cautious of not being rude in our language of lazy in our language. We, we've got to think about better words. And of course we talked about the, you know, racial terms and just things that we should not be using at all. But, but I do think going back to something, you know, we've said is that God owns words, they belong to him and we've got to be good stewards of them. It seems like kind of from all of those examples Brian was making and that reality that, that there's a sense in which we need to be cultivating our vocabulary, that there's a sense in which we, we, we are very lazy. Um, you know, I even think of, texting and, and email now, it's like you can misspell words and they'll autocorrect it. And you can, you know, start to type a word or a phrase in an email and the email suggests the phrase you're going to use. If there's a sense in which, you know, it's going to make us dumber and we're not going to be <laughs> using um, words and, and language that, you know, we should be somewhat familiar with. And we're, we're not really appreciating the beauty of language or being good stewards of it. So, you know, applying that to our, our bad words, that there are words we should be using, words we shouldn't be using, words we should strive to use. So again, a lot more we could say. Um, you know, it was great having Brian on to bring some insight out. Um, Kurt, anything you want to add? Well, I just wanted to say uh, that, uh, you know, every vocabulary word that you learn makes you richer uh, and uh, it makes you, 
it's increasing wealth into your life and into your ability to communicate. And, uh, you know, we should be cultivating in a very expansive vocabulary. Uh, and as a cultural artifact, I thought I would uh, throw out that I read an interesting article in which that very truth is posited. Uh, it's a book. It's a, it's kind of a sobering article about the education system. It's on uh, quillette.com. And uh, the title of the article is public education's dirty little uh, public education's dirty secret. And it's a story of a teacher who taught in three different schools in New York city or in the surrounding area. And it, discusses the problems with public, with public education. And it is very sobering to read. Uh, it's, it's, um, it, I would just recommend it to you. I think it's, uh, something that we ought to, we ought to be concerned with the education of our citizens, uh, in this country or wherever. And we want to speak into that. We, we want to have a voice, uh, in that uh, arena. And, uh, I thought it was a very, it's a long article. So you're going to, it's going to take you some time to read it all. And it's a hard article to read too, mm -hmm. because, some very, it's a very earthy article, um, but it's, uh, it's written from the teacher's perspective um, and I recommend it to you. It's called Public Education's Dirty Secret by Mary Hudson and it's on Quillette, Q-U-I-L-L-E-T-T-E.com. And I, I thought it was, I thought it was, anyway, I thought it was just a very good read, something um, that we want to have in our consciousness. All right, John, I know we've gone over time and we've, our guest has already left us. It's just us here now, we're just hanging out. So um, why don't I draw us to a close again? Thanks to Brian Habig for um, slumming it up and coming on this podcast with us. He's probably going to get invited on some really prestigious podcasts later on and never come back on ours, but we really appreciate getting to have him. Um, and uh, don't forget to check out the local youth worker uh, this week and also to check out uh, RYM student podcast. Uh, and uh, all right, John, I guess I'll see you later. All right. See you, Kurt.